Which, by the way, we we should probably uh, uh, set the room and not the room that we're we're talking about. But kind of mm -hmm. let's bring people in here. So we are here to talk about the room this week. For those of you who have been looking at our announcements and some of the things that we put out there, the pictures, the moving pictures, otherwise called movies. We're talking to Greg Sister later this week. But before we get there, we want to break down one of his most well-known movies, 2003's The Room, directed, written, financed, pretty much everything done by Tommy Wiseau himself. And you might have heard a voice you're not familiar with. That is my, my brother. His name is Nate. Nate, welcome to the show. It's your first time. Happy to be here, I think. I, I listen to some episodes, <laughs> and, and you get some of our childhood stories wrong, so... <laughs> I just haven't been able to hear to correct them for you. And I don't want to say anything because it's your show and I don't want to disappoint any of your listeners. You've built up this <laughs> robust, you know, uh, feelings about you. So don't worry. The nine people that have been tuning in every week, they're, they're probably just going to go, you know, what? it's fine. It's fine. It's it's part of the show. It's part of the experience. Yeah. Yep. The digital dissection experience. <laughs> and we're happy to have those nine. They're up for, we're up four from the five we usually have. So yeah. Mark's okay. home stories have been doing us wonders. <laughs> I see, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Nate's here to help us out because uh, Nate and I had bonded over over the room and specifically an experience that, uh, that took place in a theater in Milwaukee. And I'd only seen bits and pieces of the room up until this, this fateful event. Uh, and I guess, Nate, was that your first time viewing the whole thing or had you seen it a couple of times? No, actually, you told me about it. And so I went and found a bootleg right. copy online and watched it on the counter. And I just, I was speechless after watching it because I couldn't, to try to grasp the room is that I've described this to people before. There are bad movies. You hear about something like Sharknado or something that are meant to be campy. And then mm -hmm. you watch the room and the only way to describe it as somebody with no movie making talent, ability or experience gave it their all. I mean, yep. they did everything they possibly could uh, with and they, they without any help. And they and it turned out like that. It's, it's mm -hmm. you could you can't make a movie like that because nobody would actually try. Nobody would yeah. fund something like that. No, I mean, like to credit time, it was so like it, the movie definitely had all the elements you would want to have in a good movie. There's a there's a there's a splash of action. There's some intrigue there. There's betrayal. There's human emotion and intense all of the elements are there scenes, there's intent the and very intense <laughs> sex scenes but again like the experience to know how to put all those things together into a into a cohesive story that's what was missing the passion was there it's the passion the of tennessee williams <laughs> yes the passion of tennessee williams and and really just the the fact that tommy was so Yes, he did it. He did it wrong. I mean, there's there's aspects of filmmaking that he just obviously didn't know about. But but belief is there, and I think that's the important mm -hmm. element of this: is that there are people who make movies that don't care, that don't believe in them. And Tommy was so did, and it just ended up this way. Um, but I guess for those who haven't seen the room, who wants to take a stab at explaining, really, just kind of the. The, the basic foundation because joe you mentioned some of the themes and what it includes but who wants to just dip their toe into the story a little bit for us i'm gonna say nose goes because i've only seen the movie once compared to you two so i, I think a more seasoned viewer should handle this one i've seen it i've screened it for others we've been i've actually been to the theater to see it alamo draft house did it twice down here where tommy came down once 
-hmm. and Greg and Chris R were at the next one. So Dan Jin Jinjin was at the second one. Um, he actually yeah. directed me on stage during one of the performances. He had me come up and play Chris R, and he told me I was a I was a bad I was a bad actor. He said I just didn't. He didn't have well. What he wanted me to do is he wanted me to just grab this guy's neck and just wrench him. And so I don't I don't know who this guy is. I don't want to get sued. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I mean I I, I the, like the second go, yeah, the first time I did he said that sucked. He said I did a terrible job. The second time I mean I really I really kicked that guy's ass. Like I was sitting on a stage just bulldozing this guy, and he still told me I sucked at it. So I can only imagine, you know, that he has a kind of an interesting idea of what acting is because I know mm -hmm. I sucked, but I didn't suck as bad as he said. So whatever good is to him, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but and, anyways, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was gonna say just really quick, Janjin's actually uh, uh, the guy who plays Chris R. He's he's actually a motivational speaker uh, outside of that that you know that one time mm -hmm. uh, chance encounter with Tommy Wiseau and being in that movie. But but yeah, sorry. Go ahead and and. Walk us through a little bit here. What's his What's his oh. motivational called? Giving it your R. Is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well anyway. if you ever look at it though, it's stylized as Chris Dash R. Like it's it's not just wait. Chris so it's like Chrisser. It's Chris no, no, Dash R. But why? What's R. the dash there for? That implies that R separation. Is a part of, okay. <laughs> you got to pronounce it. You can't. You can't change it. It's not an abbreviation. Because if it'd be like Chris dot R, it's like it's no. It's Dash. It's, it's part dash. of his okay. name. So <laughs> Chris yeah. Dash R. So yeah. to frame the room up, it's about a guy who he's, he's, he's a saint. This guy's a virtual saint. He helps mm -hmm. people, little kids in his neighborhood, like Danny, that's actually really an adult. He's a, oh, he's got a fiance that's just beautiful. Uh, Lisa, a blonde who loves red dresses that he will buy mm -hmm. and flowers uh, and scotch keys. And everything seems to be going his way. He's engaged. He's, he's ready to move on. But then, his woman starts having a, an affair with his friend. And I wouldn't call it an affair, just be cheating at this point. There's no, maybe loosely, it's a cheating with his best friend, Johnny. Best, best friend. His best, best friend. And he, friend. Yeah. It's made very, very well aware that that's his best friend. They mentioned yes. that many, many times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so throughout the movie, uh, that's basically the leading plot is that she's a terrible woman behind his back. She's definitely thinks that she needs the whole world. And he eventually finds out about it, and, and and you know, should we spoil the ending or is it? Well, we can. We'll get. We'll eventually get there. We'll get there. Um, okay. Yeah. I I think what's important to point out though is that this, this is a pretty bold choice for a narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, no one has tried to do anything like this before. It. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> maybe not the same way, but like, I think. Again, like part of part of the reason why this movie is is particularly hard for some to get through is that things seem to happen for the sake of happening and not for any good setup or reason. Even even Juliet's falling out of love with um with Tommy Wiseau is basically just to move the story forward. She basically her biggest excuse is what that she's bored. She's like, oh no, he's boring now. Because he's too good, he's too nice. He also hit her. I mean, you can't forget that. That's true. Yeah, but well, but also I, some would dispute that, Nate. Some would say some he did would. not hit her. He did not. But did not. you know, one thing I did want to point out about this. Okay, so many have mentioned that yeah, that 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 Johnny never technically hit Lisa, but he does forcefully push her down on the couch. If you notice, I mean, to me, it's 
if you want to call it hitting, I don't know, but I mean, it's it's still it's it's abuse, guys. We can't just look past this. But either way, I mean, it, it's it's definitely uh, Nate and I have have spent time talking about this before, where clearly. Tommy was so thought he had a banger. He thought he had something here that was Academy Award winning, and really ended up getting a, a room that or a, a movie that was largely shot in a studio apartment for, for the most part. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, everyone passes through it like it's Grand Central Station. Like you need to be there for some some godforsaken reason. Um, I mean, that's where people go to uh, to study have sex and just do whatever you want. Despite the fact that you don't live there, you just it's go crash to this pad. place. It's the yeah. crash pad. I mean, mm -hmm. having been to the house myself from the outside in San Francisco, I can tell you it's a pretty large, large space. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so what you're saying is it's a large space and, mm -hmm. and, and his living room pretty much makes no sense because it's a, it's a room that has windows on all of the walls right so i mean yeah. <laughs> the house doesn't have windows because it's it... also how, how do you get that mattress up a spiral staircase I, there's like there's some questions here that we haven't had answered yep they come in pieces or something i mean i mean they're also the same neighborhood as the tanner family so everything <laughs> yeah. i can that's tell you how far away i went to the tanner house i know how far away it is from there <laughs> so this is a good point to bring up the, the just the setting of the room is is uh, mm -hmm. a quandary in itself because yeah th this is at best what like a, maybe like a 10 by 15 room right yeah um and they managed to get uh, like two different couches in there and then to get to the upstairs because it's a two-story apartment mm -hmm. yes you have a spiral staircase that is your only way of getting upstairs <laughs> it's I about mean, least like... so wide too it's about yeah. least so wide yeah like there's, you couldn't you couldn't tilt or pivot that mattress to get it up the stairs unless he built it himself <laughs> yeah. you never He's know so... that's what it, it could be one of his many talents he's yeah. he's a banker he's a nice guy he's a philanthropist and he's a whittler He'll yeah. make anything for you. What shouldn't be missed in this plot, though, is he really does want to dive deep into a couple of areas that are, you know, were serious issues at the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Drug use, cancer, yeah, uh, falling in the streets. Even if we don't return to them ever again. No. They are, they are brought up. They are brought up. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, yeah. it's reminiscent of like a play that a child would write where they don't really know how to flesh everything out, but they know it's important and it should be in there. So. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it, it reminds me of the line from uh, Waiting where uh, actually the same actor that played Donnie Estricky from Gone in 60 Seconds, he goes, think of everything you learned and laugh and just focus on that for a minute. Now think about it if you went through it blind and I'm like, that, that kind of feels like, like if Tommy was blind his entire life and then decided to write something, this is what we ended up getting because it, it's completely disconnected. None of like the pacing is, is completely off, off balance the entire time. Um, and I, I guess to, to point out his, like his, his, his fiance, the love of his life, Lisa, um, you know, she can't seem to make up her mind as to what she wants at any point in this movie. No, 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 she does. She says she says she wants it all. 
She does. She wants it all. So well, she wants she wants it all with Mark, mm-hmm. played by the. She doesn't. Uh, she doesn't say that it's necessarily with Mark. She just says she wants it all, and so <laughs> really, she's no different than a lot of a lot of uh, women that really want to take take on the world. And I, or, or she just sounds like a Queen song, and yeah, and that's and, and she just wants it all, and she, she wants she, it now. Mm-hmm. She wants it right now. <laughs> I mean, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the most confusing aspects of this movie, and and Joe, you might agree after your first viewing, and I can actually confirm this, is is the relationship between Lisa and her mother, who is, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to set her up as, you know, the, the helpful mom and and someone who's trying to just help her daughter make the right decisions in life, but but she doesn't even really have it fully together, does she, guys? No, no, she doesn't. Because was it turns out that what she didn't really love her husband and what I'm trying again. I've only seen the one time. So isn't that like she left her husband? No, he was or, a hateful man. Hateful man. Okay, that's what it was. So glad hateful that she man. divorced him. Yeah, very glad she divorced him. And glad the only she... reason you should ever get in a relationship with anyone anyway is just for financial stability. Love you know what? That's one of the smartest. Exactly. That was one of the smartest lines of that entire movie. <laughs> don't don't do it for love do it for financial no. stability love has nothing to do with marriage <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no and like don't you have like you have one of lisa's friends like saying how like your mom's a bitch and she's horrible and to that point you're like well wait a second actually the mom's been really helpful for, since like we started eventually we see like mom like turns out like oh the the your father is terrible and i hate him and i'm happy i divorced him and you should just marry this man for his money and because he's kind of nice to you. So you just get a bunch of mixed signals from this entire cast over like, what the fuck is going on with this mom? Well, and well, her relationship she, with Lisa. Earlier in the movie, though, she says that, you know, he provides for you and he clearly loves you. And yeah, and, and, and that he he's a great man to be with. And and then after we find out about this, this, this twist, this cancer twist that she finds out, she definitely has breast cancer after she gets the test results. Definitely. Definitely has Definitely. breast cancer. No. Has yeah. Yep. Yep. This mm-hmm. is this is the, when you start pulling on that thread about marriage. It's after that diagnosis. Do we think that maybe the breast cancer has something to do with this this change of heart after after her earlier praise of of Johnny? What I, what I, I, when I looked at it in, in, in retrospective, you know, applying my real life experience, the real truth is, is that you can never expect someone to be grateful. That's actually a good piece of real advice because you could do everything in the world for somebody and expect them to do something for you. And, and they're, they're going to stab you in the back. It happens. You don't white knight that far. And he did. And he made a mistake. And that's life. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. life. Yeah. Well, and then I guess like, even like looking at that conversation where you have the mother reveals that she has breast cancer, the fact that Lisa clearly doesn't give a fuck. She's like, mom, mom. They cure things all the time. Don't worry about it. We should worry about how I, I want everything right now. Fuck off, mom. You and your problems. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> just, well, the computer cells just aren't where they want to be right now. So she's finding other things in life to do. <laughs> yes, yes, mm-hmm. that's right. The the computer boom of two thousand two that we were all present for clearly ended. Yeah, yeah. Those those e machines aren't selling, so <laughs> never obsolete. <laughs> Well, I, I I did want to focus a little bit here about just the the, the love story that does unfold because uh, it, it seems like you know Johnny is is obviously completely 
lost mm-hmm. in this. He doesn't understand anything going on. Um, but the the love story between Johnny and the city of San Francisco, I think, is worth analyzing for a little bit here, because San Francisco is prominently displayed throughout this entire film. We get many beautiful, gorgeous shots of the Golden Gate Bridge. We traverse I mean, it. it some, some do. Only, only, mm-hmm. no, no. Only one of them actually goes all the way across. The mm-hmm. other one stops midway, and it usually disappoints the entire fan, you know, <laughs> fandom present. Because at every get together we've been at, they start cheering as it moves across, and then if it stops, they they're all bummed out. They're like, oh, no. <laughs> fit. There's so much. There's so much content in that movie that they couldn't fit in another three more seconds of spanning the bridge you know it's, if they had to cut it off there mm-hmm. to put it in more important stuff maybe if we'd gotten a large hot chocolate we'd have the energy to make it all the way across the golden mm-hmm. bridge more than once that's right the chosen <laughs> drink of, of of johnny is the medium hot chocolate not the large not the small nope. not mm-hmm. the venti none, none of that bullshit it is just <laughs> the medium chocolate and he doesn't yeah. pay for it if you notice that Nobody you know? pays for anything at this place. It's a, it's a charity coffee shop. And Cheesecake it's, Factory, too, because fucking yeah. giving away cheesecake. Like, where is this place in Wisconsin? Giving away <laughs> yeah, cheese. Living in Star Trek over there. <laughs> Everything's free. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and it's it's this exchange between what Tommy Wiseau thinks happens, I guess, <laughs> between an NPC and a and a customer. You know, this one of the most confusing exchanges in this entire film is when he walks into the flower oh shop my God. and and here you go you have this guy who who looks like a a modern day you know vampire come into your <laughs> your flower shop and then the the florist acts like she doesn't even recognize him i mean but wh- he is her best customer <laughs> it's her it's her, it's, it's, it's it's so confusing oh, it's it, so it, disjointed it's, yeah yeah he's wearing like a wearing like a black trench coat or something i mean he's and yeah. sunglasses the sunglasses. whole time he's in there yeah you got you got chains all over you know all over his waist you know <laughs> so, uh, yeah giving a little bit of it away like we we spent you know, you know me and me and my wife spent our honeymoon in san francisco and so we just by some of it was just by default like you're driving you know, you're riding around on the train mm-hmm. on, on the on the bus the train you'll, you you go by some of these places i mean like the the flower shop which has changed um some of the other ones you have to kind of work to get to like the stairs they were running at when they went to go throw the football around towards oh, yeah. the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We walked right by it and we're like, Hey, wait a second. This looks familiar to me. And I was having like a moment or um, there's the other one that's near that. I forget what the, uh, the monument is, but it looks like these grand, like almost like pavilions made out of life. I forget what that building is called. I think it's like an observatory or something. Mm-hmm. Um, we walked right by that. He walks right through different parts of the wharf. Obviously the house It's kind of, the house is actually in a pretty nice neighborhood. You know, you could tell from the movie that he definitely has. I mean, this is a serious sense. He actually had a very strong, strong passion for San Francisco. And mm-hmm. his mark is still on this. I've, I've, I've heard rumors like about what his involvement is down like near the wharf, like what is actual Tommy was those line of businesses. And I told Mark this. I think he might might ask uh, Greg about it. But I mean, he's got he still has a build, quite a few buildings that he owns there. I'm pretty sure. I know he owns at least I one. That. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like right down the street from a Starbucks. And there's just this. You come out, you come out of there, and all of a sudden you see is this gigantic. It looks like a pair, like a light-up sign or something. Looks like a pair of jeans. Yeah. And I walked in and I said, "Hold on a second. There's this big picture of the room behind it." And I remember talking, Attorney Aaron, I'm like going, "Hey, uh, you think there's a chance that's that's his building?" And you look up there, and all you see on the second floor is like boxes and boxes and boxes of something. And you have, you have I mean, 
it's like years later. I mean, I went, he, when he came down here, I just went up to him and was like, mm-hmm. "Tell me, hey, yeah, uh, was in San Francisco. Is it's that building with the jeans and the poster? Is that yours? What's in there, anyways?" And, he's, and he says, uh, "No, no, that's not my building." And then, like, no, no, no sooner than like a second and a half later, as I'm walking away, he pulls me over and goes, "Yeah, it's mine." it sounds like such a perfect tommy thing to do yeah (laughs) perfect tommy you couldn't just tell me the first time you had to deny me once oh yeah and then come back at it and it's like but it builds the drama up again yeah he's a master which which is what i think is hilarious is that i mean for as splintered and as Mm -hmm. disjointed as this film is it is tommy's stamp for sure and uh his I mean, even even from day one, the, the the moment that guy touched American soil, this persona began, this deception began, this this whole presentation of his began because, uh, you know, he he tells Greg Sestero, of course, in their fateful meeting that he's twenty years old, and mm-hmm. this man looks like no twenty year old that anyone has ever seen, of course, um, mm-hmm. and it, later find out, I mean, the guy is in his late forties when he makes yeah. the room in in, in two thousand two. And uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it is, it is, there's a lot of questions behind that part mm-hmm. of it, the financing of this movie uh, and, you know, how it all came together. And some people do think it's counterfeit jeans. Some think it's, you know, uh, plush doggies like the one you saw in the floral shop, you know? I've know. heard rumors he actually sells merchandise to people like the touristy stuff, like down on the wharf. If you go down there, I mean, there's, you know, little booths. Up and down the streets around there selling I love San Francisco shirts. I wouldn't be surprised if he's getting a cut of that. I mean every five dollar shirt, I'm sure he knows. I mean, the guys, you know, like I said he made his stamp on on the industry, whether it was positive or negative. I'll say it that much. And I think he's made the most of what the room has become. Honestly, I think you hit hit the paramount of it with the with the disaster artists and all oh, that. Yeah. We're gonna get more. I mean, it's, it's that was really bringing it into the into the mainstream for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. There's a love for it because of that. It's just, I, I understand it's not what most people would consider to be. But if you think about a lot of the movies that people really, really like, and there's they're kind of controversially with his, I think people all enjoy it. They just don't enjoy it for the reason I think he wanted. Yeah. So, well, and I mean, yeah. even looking at like the disaster artist where you have Tommy Wiseau actually interacting with um, James Franco playing Tommy Wiseau, like Wiseau's actually acting there. And what you see, like he's gotten better. Like clearly, yeah, like this was his first real go at something in the room. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's getting better. Like he like I actually thought like his exchange that he had with with Franco was actually pretty funny. Uh because there was like it was uh like a Hollywood party or something they were at. Um where Rousseau was there and then whoever Rousseau was playing as just a random person that was there, like that was actually I laughed at that. That was really good. Yeah, well he's, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. He, he he's starting to know. Like I think he's known over time, like where mm-hmm. he can be good. And so, like yeah. he's working within he's working within his limitations and his skill level, and he's producing things. At least for he knows who his fan base is mm-hmm. and producing things that they will potentially enjoy. And I think that's the important aspect of this is that even if Tommy didn't quite understand how to make a film and he didn't quite understand what they were doing, he always seemed to figure out and understand fans and and how to be a fan pleaser like we've tongue-in-cheek talked about the room just to introduce people to it who didn't know about it right because we're like as we mentioned this is kind of a precursor to talking to greg sestero but 
for Tommy was so in the room, as you've mentioned, the layers of success that they've had with this ties into the fact that the guy loves his fans. And we're not just talking about it when the cameras are rolling. I mean, he truly adores his fans. And that's why he has taken this movie on the road now for, you know, the better part of 18 years. Mm -hmm. And 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 people show up to it and they love it. I, I think it's worth mentioning, Nate, uh, what that experience is like. Because if you haven't gone to one of the showings on the Love is Blind tour, which is what, <laughs> is what Tommy called it, mm -hmm. Nate, what, what's, what is the Love is Blind tour? Do you want to walk us through that? Well, it's usually, it almost always features him, but he may also be able to drag some of his, it's usually probably Greg, but he's sometimes depending on where he's at. Cause I mean, like the actress that played Lisa, uh, the Juliet and Juliet I think, Daniel. The, yeah, right. She, she lives down in San Antonio. I know she's moved since that time. I know she had for a while lived in San Antonio. She may still be there. And of course, like I said, Dan, uh, Dan's over here in town here. And so they'll come up and do the show too, if they're around and they can, but what it really is, I mean, it's pure fan love. When you go to like a comic convention or anything like that, if you've ever mm -hmm. been to one, you know, the fans, you know, they're very, very passionate about it. It's weird because you, you think, you know, how could this possibly produce this kind of interest? And then you see the line out the front. People are cheering. People have got merchandise for him to sell. And, you know, he meets with every fan. And he's yeah. not like he's not like the kind of guy that's, you know, sitting behind a table and just signing stuff. The guy's right up no. there with you, putting his arm around you. He's everybody's friend. He, he wants to make sure you're enjoying the experience. And the weirdest part is he doesn't actually sit in there during the movie. He doesn't like, he's not going to make any commentary. He leaves for a while. He may leave yeah. for the entire thing. I think for one of it, he mm -hmm. was there. He left before the show was over, but he's there uh, just long enough and to get everyone interested and then um, takes off, I think. It's just, but but he's he meets with everybody in there. That when, he, when he came down here and did it, he there was like a little bit of a pre-session where the, I think the Alamo Drafthouse people got him to do a little bit more special crowd involvement. That's how I got taken up on stage. I, I don't know if I tried to volunteer or if I was like one of those, one of those hey, can we get a volunteer? And I just kind of like had my hand kind of half raised and I got drawn up on stage. Uh, but it was a blast. I mean, people during, during the actual movie, there's moments in there that if once you've gone once, you know, you're, you know what to say and what to do. Like every mm -hmm. time that Lisa goes up and down the stairs, everyone's like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Because yeah, there's another scene in there where she's like eating like a ton of food. Like she's like just ripping like all this food out of a grocery bag. <laughs> Well, so, it, it's there's that, and then the, the part that I got really like just completely thrown off by was every time the uh, there's there's photos of of spoons framed throughout the apartment. Every time that you see one of these, everyone in the crowd knew they shouted out "spoon, spoons," and then they all had plastic <laughs> spoons they're throwing up into the air. Oh my like, god! Like like rice after a wedding, and <laughs> and you and I are just sitting there like going looking at each other like, what the, the fuck, fuck is going on here? here? You and, pick and spoons up off the floor by like the second or third time you see it, like you're yeah. you get involved, or yeah. or when the footballs get thrown around, people just jump up out of the crowd and start throwing footballs between yep. each other. Yep, in the aisles, <laughs> strangers, you're throwing a football halfway across yeah. the theater to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, as we mentioned, the Golden Gate Bridge. Every time that it scrolls across it, like like Nate mentioned, people are going, go, 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 go. go. And then if it doesn't make it all the way, it's like, oh. <laughs> and, 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 the, and the thing is, the, the part that I was always wondering about is like, like people are genuinely enjoying themselves, even though it may seem like they're making fun of it. 
Mm-hmm. Like it, it, there, there is a ton of entertainment value in this community that exists within a film mm-hmm. that most people don't know about. And, and that's what it kind of took Nate and I by surprise. When we left that theater, Nate, I remember my face was hurting. My stomach was hurting. I was laughing so mm-hmm. hard for almost two hours that like, I just couldn't believe that that existed. And so um, I think that's what Tommy's really latched onto is that, yeah, people may not love it for, you know, uh, the reasons that they typically love, like an Academy mm-hmm. award-winning film. But I mean, the entertainment value is off the charts. Yeah. I mean, I thought walking into it, I thought, Oh, Hey, I, I found this really, you know, odd movie that I love in a particular way. And, and, and when I go to see it in person, the passion in that fan base was far more than I ever expected. Just because I don't, I've never been part of really a film fandom. I mean, you could go to like star Wars or mm-hmm. and those people dress up and get nutty. But for something like this, you're just wondering, like, how far will people go for a film like this? And people will go two hours, three hours to go to a screening. Sometimes even if he's not even there, like just because they're doing something, you know, because they want to see it. It's meant to be enjoyed in a theater environment. It's definitely it's like and, and it's it's meant to be enjoyed with crowd involvement. And I don't think he designed the movie that way. That's just how it ended up. But it's really the only way to watch it. So if you haven't gone to a theater, one of these showings. I would encourage it simply because we we enjoyed it that much more with on the with all that well we were involved you know screaming at it it was just just a blast. Which is interesting. Like, how do we think the movie even got to this phase? Because like as someone who I I love watching like really campy crappy movies, and I usually I mean I love laughing at them. I love looking at like thinking of like how do they come to the decisions to like do what they did with this movie, and clearly you had this movie that. Tommy, like when it premiered, he drove around the block like what five, six times because he didn't see a line. And then when it didn't turn out the way he wanted to, he was he was upset. And now, like it's a blast to go and see this movie. Like, how did we go from a screening that flopped to people lined up to it to basically have a party every time they watch it? Well, well I mean, it's like Vi- Viagra. I mean, Viagra was meant to be a heart medication. When people found out it worked well doing something else, mm-hmm. they pivoted. He's a master salesman. He's been doing it his entire life. So, <laughs> well, I think yes, mm-hmm. that that is absolutely the the part of this. That I think people need to realize mm-hmm. for the people that make fun of Tommy Wiseau for just this movie, they need to take a step back and realize that that his tenacity and and the fact that he does things that most people would overthink. That's what makes him successful, not just as a businessman or the mm-hmm. fact that he was somehow able to put a movie together like that. Like he's not hindered by the things that would hinder most people. Now, to answer your question about uh, how this movie gets to where it is now, Joe, mm-hmm. it it's this grassroots approach. And I think it's there's a couple of things, layers to this. So it's the grassroots approach of taking this to individual cities and doing what Tommy does, where he sits there and Nate wasn't joking he meets with every single fan before the movie starts. So you don't always know when the movie is actually going to begin because he will get through every single signature every single time. Wow. So that that's one, one big aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Now, two, we have lived throughout our time praising and celebrating awesomely bad things. You know, I mean, that's true. Th- and this is also something that mirrors the same element of what Tommy does, you take something where you have like small groups of people that appreciate these things, and then you do it on a world scale. They're not just doing it in the U.S. I mean, they went. He, he, Greg Sestero has mentioned 
the the crowds in London that will show up for this stuff. I mean, it, that's that's why it's it's it can't just be one factor. Mm -hmm. It's it's multiple. I mean, yeah. How 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 many times do you get to see something that's own it's its own unique phenomenon, and then you get to meet the people involved behind it? Because if this were just like some lowbrow like garbage movie or something, then nobody would really care. I mean, the only great analog to this that I can think of would be like Kevin Smith. He goes out and makes mm -hmm. a movie on his own. It actually ends up being good, but you know, because he's a good filmmaker. Mm -hmm. But he's very fan involved. He shows. I mean, he's done a pop up restaurant in town. He shows up to that. You know, yeah. people like that they can have a little bit of access. The people behind the movie get to know them a little bit better. With Tommy, other than his private life, like he doesn't tell anything about that but no no mm -hmm. but i'm just saying like if, he, if he's accessible to fans who just want to like go up shake his hand talk to him for a few minutes and experience his unique aura which is mm -hmm. very unique his two belts of course i don't know if i told you that story at all like no two belts. somebody asked him why he wears two belts and he says i mean one's to keep his pants up and one is like underneath his butt just because he likes the way it feels because he wore that when, when he came to see us he was like this two belts thing okay. going on yeah it's like yeah. interesting. I mean, maybe it is good. I mean, maybe I need to try it. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it helps with posture. Yeah, a little extra support to tighten things up. Yeah, he's onto something that we just don't know. <laughs> I don't it's, know. <laughs> it's the saddest part, though. I mean, you see him now. He actually is getting older, which is. Yeah. So I want this guy making more stuff. It, it's true. He he. I mean, from from most estimates, the guy has to be either in his seventies or right at the, the lip. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. he's definitely uh, getting up there in age. Although we, we have on good authority that the guy still does kettlebell workouts because mm -hmm. I believe it. We, we found out Nate that, uh, that, that Greg and Tommy still talk every single day uh, <laughs> to the point where it made Greg late to our interview with him. <laughs> because <laughs> because he was talking to tommy before just before so, we had our call <laughs> he didn't ask so you didn't like ask him like hey do you think tommy would like want, like he didn't like ask tommy if he wanted to come along or something you didn't you know not I, interested? I i i don't know i i really don't i mean so here here's the difference okay so we we obviously are, are celebrating uh greg sestero this week mm -hmm. but his his thing is, is that Greg is still he, he's writing. Obviously, you know about that the disaster artist, but he wrote the, the the film Best Friends that him and Tommy technically reunited in in 2018, and he's also uh, doing press for his upcoming film Miracle Valley, which comes out next year. So Greg is still obviously working and and very active in in what he does. So if I had to ask the question of what was Tommy doing on that day that prevented him from being there. Well, I mean, who knows what the hell Tommy was so is doing on any mm -hmm. given day. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question that we, we probably should have asked Greg, you know, it's like, Hey, was, uh, was Tommy interested in enjoying Because <laughs> clearly he was available. If he was talking to him <laughs> to the point where he was <laughs> or, yeah. late for our call. <laughs> Little secret about Tommy though, is that so he, a while back, I, you know, became more of a fan of the room and I'm trying to figure out like, is there a contact number for him? Yeah. And I called, I don't know which number I called for him. It just went to his cell phone. There's like it was legit number, like Tommy's cell phone. And it wasn't like the voicemail box was full. Like you could leave a message for him if you wanted to back then. Yeah. It's just like probably like 10 years, 10, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. I was like, that, that couldn't have been real. Like that can't yeah. really have been his number. But sure enough. And, and I think that's why the billboard did come down at one point, right? Because, I mean, 
for a long time, he wasn't getting phone calls uh, probably that often. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just a, um, I mean, for the locals, I'm sure they just like, yep, that's, that's Tommy Wiseau. He's that weird dude. And then suddenly after the, this grassroots campaign, (laughs) he's a, he's an international celebrity. (laughs) Um, so I, I think the, the the larger point here, though, is that, uh, yes, this is a film that we started off with, most of us, looking at it and going, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. You know, is this so bad that I can't look away? Because I, I don't think this is a train wreck. I think this is like a like a spaceship wreck. OK, like that's that's more of the the, the idea for me is it's, it's a high stakes train wreck, whatever you want to call it. And. And over time, I, I think it was just the acceptance of maybe the folks involved with it, too. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, many people involved said they hoped it would or they thought they would never see the light of day. Yeah. Um, and, and clearly that that didn't happen. I mean, and that's as I don't know, like as horrible as it could sound that like, like they didn't think they'd ever see the light of day. I mean, that's how many independent movies get made. Never really see the light of day. They don't make it past one or two screenings at a small theater or they just never even make it that far. So I don't know, like, I don't want to say like, I don't think it's, it's necessarily fair to pin it on. Like this was a disaster of a movie. That's probably like, it would never see the light of day. But I mean, I think any independent movie has a very good shot of never being seen anywhere, let alone something like this. It, I don't know if this is something you guys asked him about, but did he really describe how it went from, you know, obviously box office flop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Premiere was a flop. And then how it, what, what the bridge was like, what, what was the first showing like after like the first like nightly showing that he did, like, how did it build up into this, this thing? I don't know if that's something Greg knew about. So because we, we just lightly kind of talked about it. Cause we obviously wanted to focus on, you know, his projects and, and like, like post room life. But, but I mean, it was just one city at a time. I mean that that's what it, that's how this movie became more than just a a random trailer that somebody cracked up about you know because that's that's how I remember seeing it the first time somebody just it's the the trailer surfaced mm-hmm. uh, roughly about I think like five years six years after the the film actually came out and and that's what they started doing it was just one city at a time suddenly one more group of like a hundred people sees it and goes what the hell just happened to me. And, and think about how many bad films you've seen that you can't remember, but you've seen this one. And mm-hmm. it's like, yes, it's bad, but I, I was a lot like I was mesmerized by how bad it was. I'm still in awe of how a grown man has no idea what sound a chicken makes. It doesn't make that sound after it's done being like an infant. And let alone spending five million dollars to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Did, well, at least he had the foresight to record it in HD. Also, like he is visionary. Mm-hmm. Spared visionary. no Blue expense. Ray. Yeah, he spared no expense. Well, he bought the cameras yeah, instead yeah. of renting them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Why, yeah why it was, I mean, it makes sense. He said it was cheap. What? Didn't it turn out like it was cheaper and just buy the cameras instead of renting them? No, the yeah. truth was, the mm-hmm. truth was here, uh, was so was Nolan before Christopher Nolan. I mean, Christopher Nolan started doing that and mm-hmm. people called him a madman, but before the, he, he did it, Tommy was so was doing. So if anything, he's, he's a visionary from that, that, that side <laughs> what's, of it. From a pocketbook standpoint. 
What's yeah. also crazy is I he filmed probably many, many, many times. There's got to be some lost footage somewhere of more stuff about the room that wasn't added in there. Like he's probably got another DVD's worth of cut cut material that I'd love to see. <laughs> I mean, he's he's. I mean, we, we we all know he recorded every single day on set. Mm -hmm. You know, it, granted, he didn't record it on like a tiny little tape that could only store about twenty minutes on it, uh, like he does in the film. <laughs> But, he's, but that I tape mean, lasted for days, so don't. <laughs> I, guess I record everything. Yeah, he he recorded every single day on set, and to the point where he provided that to mm -hmm. uh, to the Franco brothers to help prepare for you know for the movie. Yep. In which point they said this was instrumental in us being able to get into the headspace mm -hmm. since since james franco is a method actor because like know. didn't he like have like the actual camera crew for recording the room and then didn't he hire a second crew to like record everything the making like, of yeah the yeah, making, making of. of yeah yes yeah the making of yeah i mean just just incredible uh what what's going through this guy's mind but mm -hmm. I, I guess there's some parting thoughts because i mean um I, i've long straddled this line between like I mentioned, I, I was laughing at Tommy Wiseau in the beginning, but that is not what I'm doing anymore. I mean, I, I can talk about stuff tongue in cheek, but I, I absolutely can appreciate this unstoppable force that is Tommy Wiseau. And it's in every aspect of what the guy does in life. He is unstoppable, you know, and so I, I guess your guys thoughts um, on, on this film and the legacy and Tommy, I mean, what are your thoughts here? Well, I'm still, um, you know, fresh off my heels of watching it for the first time. So I'm just in awe of what it's what of what it's done. Like how one even making a movie is difficult to do in the first place. And this guy pulls it off independently, completely 100 percent on his own. Uh, and then it completely bombs and flops. And he manages manages to turn it into something uh, He's profited off of, and not only he's profiting off of it, but like it's memorable. Like it's become a, a part of like an American and really global subculture is just unfathomable to me that he's been able to do this. So I am, I'm awestruck and to the point of being baffled with what time it was, that was done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For me, it's one of those things that someone said, Nate, you're going to take, you know, 30 movies with you to a dessert island. It's all you get. You know, if it was down to like this and, and any number of those 90s forgettable sort of like dramas and things mm -hmm. like, oh, man, take English patient or something. I'm going to take the room. And the reason for that is that it was we call it a failure. necessary well, failure of writing, failure of acting, failure of directing in all these different ways. And yet it managed to come out to be something that people enjoyed anyways. Because when you go to a movie, you expect a certain quality to it. And this one didn't have any of those things. But the guy did complete it. You know, it's that, it's that kid that got the project. He still gets the D minus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, but he, he said some really interesting stuff in there, too. You know, he was, he was creative in that way. It's, it's innovative. It's like no other movie you will watch. Mm -mm. And, yeah. and to say it's, 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 it's not honest to say that it's bad. It's, it's enjoyable because... You want to know more about it. You're curious as to why it was made this way. And, and, and the biggest part of it is, is that getting in the head of someone that would make a movie like this, you, you kind of understand he's got a very black and white idea of what the world really is. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, love and hate. There's no gray. This, this movie has no gray whatsoever. 
He's either your friend or he's betraying him. He's a, the whole movie's like that. You're either good or you're bad. I mean, there's no obviously Chris R is bad. I mean, he's a comic book villain. <laughs> yeah. But Johnny, on the other hand, that guy's an absolute saint. Yeah. And it, it, it's so he knew what the elements of stories were. It's like someone that mm-hmm. overheard it through a wall and tried to make a movie based on a story somebody else told but missed everything. They just caught some of the big points of it and said, I know enough to make a movie. And there you go. He put five million into that. Yeah. And so we can all appreciate his interesting effort. Uh, I think it's like a weird, like real life galaxy quest where the aliens who've been watching the movie of everything and think thought it was real. And so they took this campy thing and made a real spaceship with it. That's what Tommy was so done with the room. He yeah. overheard what to do to make a movie. He made the movie and over periods of time, he's actually built the damn spaceship. Well, I, I'm sure he was told in his acting classes, this is what a good movie has. Yeah. And and he didn't really know what a good movie had. He just kind of heard about it a little mm-hmm. bit and had some of the parts of it. He kind of, you know, a broad overview. Yeah. But, well, I think at the base of it, what I like the way I started to view this was think about the the immigrant dream, right? Like you, you've you've seen it in other films, you've seen it in, in told across history that you know, people see America as a land of opportunity and they come here and, and they make a life for themselves. And and Tommy was so has managed to do that, not just with his business, but but also with this film. And so um, that that's how I started to look at it, too. Uh, the, the longer that I spent with it was that this was this was obviously his dream and he was able to take his dream this far. I mean, it's it's incredible that that he's been able to achieve what he has with it and uh, i can only imagine uh, he's made back his money in his investment at this point oh absolutely and he worked very hard mm-hmm. to do it mm-hmm. that yeah. much because he took a he took a flop and then turned it into something that could be merchandised you know yeah <laughs> hell of a marketer 